couple of announcements before reading the scripture. First of all, it's good to see you here this morning. Be nice to those people who arrive here in about five minutes because they think it's <laughs> an hour later. Secondly, um, thank you for those of you who have been participating in our generosity campaign. We, uh, every time this year, or every, yeah, every time around this, well, anyway, um, we go through a time of inviting people to make their commitments to the ministry and mission of Church of the Palms, and many of you have responded. We're about 95% to our goal of those participating, and so thank you for that, and we are encouraged by your response, and uh, invite those of you who have not yet had the chance to find a pledge card in the back or go online and make your pledge so that we can continue uh, this year uh, in a very strong fashion. Um, lastly, but maybe mostly, um, many of you uh, perhaps have met somebody who's been very important to our sanctuary worship uh, here at Church of the Palms, uh, who's been sort of this quiet presence in the back of the sanctuary, uh, taking care of all of our ushers and making sure all the, the details are taken care of. Barry Buchanan passed away um, unexpectedly over uh, about a week or so ago. Um, you may remember him as the gray-haired man with the ponytail uh, and uh, who was just always a constant presence. So we, we, uh, we don't normally announce uh, everyone's passing, but uh, Barry is an important part of this worshiping community and served us so faithfully for so many years. And uh, we will be um, remembering his life and celebrating his life on the 25th, <clears throat> 25th of March. So be looking for those details or you can call the church office as well. So. Well done, good and faithful servant, Barry Buchanan. Our scripture today comes from John chapter 4, verses 5 through 15. Hear the word of God. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. <clears throat> There may not be a chapter 
in all the Bible, which has recited more than the Psalm numbered 23, the 23rd Psalm. In the Sunday school I attended, we had a scripture memorization program, which kids like me were brought before the elders to recite from memory core scripture passages from the Bible. Psalm 23 was at the top of that list. When I recite the 23rd Psalm today in worship or in communion or in memorial services, I can notice people of all ages in the sanctuary quietly reciting the Psalm along with me. No other Psalm does that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It is a poem and a prayer that so wonderfully captures and expresses the faith and hope of a believer. Some say it was composed by David when he was a fugitive being sought by King Saul and within the desert wilderness came upon this beautiful oasis of water and gardens. Groups I've taken to Israel, I have sometimes taken to this oasis and shown them the scene. And it all then makes sense, the 23rd Psalm, lying down in green pastures, taken beside the still waters, preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Regardless of its origins, it is one of the great pieces of holy writ. There is within the Psalm a phrase that I'd like for us to think about today. And the phrase is, my cup runneth over. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. There is perhaps not a more beautiful image and hope in the human art than to have your cup running over. Now, I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think of your cup running over, but whenever I have talked to people about this psalm, and in particular, this particular phrase, their cups running over, the responses I've heard from people suggest that we human beings live our lives with two very distinct cups in hand. And that when we think of our cup running over, we think of one of these cups or the other, or sometimes both. The first cup we carry with us is the cup I call the black cup. The black cup is the cup into which we place things, concrete things, that we hope will keep us in the black. In the black, of course, means that one is solvent. It comes from black ink as opposed to red ink. When, when you're in the black, your cup has enough in it. You are keeping your head above water when it comes to the physical and material needs of life. The black cup is concerned about how much money you make, what kind of house you live in, whether you have enough food, how much money you're saving, what kind of conveniences or accessories do you have to have, how dependable is your car. i got to stop there, though, to say that I wrote that phrase, how dependable is your car, like three days ago in the sermon. So I had to chuckle last night in the middle of the night as I was sitting in my broken down car along the side of the road, <laughs> waiting for the AAA guy to tow it away. <clears throat> my black cup did not run over last night. <clears throat> Those are the kinds of things, though, that we are concerned with when it comes to the black cup. We're in the middle of tax season, filling out tax returns, and our 1040s tell us something about the black cup. How much or how little do we have in the black cup? And certainly the dream that most of us are pursuing as, is that this cup, this black cup, is running over. We want to have more than we need in this cup. We want to really be in the black. 
But there's another cup that we human beings carry around with us, and it's the cup I call the green cup. It's called the green cup because green is the color of life. And that cup is filled with all the intangible things that vitalize our life. Into this cup, we place all those things that are, that are considered core to a healthy life. Inside this cup, we place things like basic health and good friendships and stable family and positive self-image and hope and passion and conviction. All those things that make life vital. All those things that if you don't have them, then it really doesn't matter what you have in the black cup. When Jesus asked, what does a profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Another way he could have said it, if he had used my language, what does it profit a man if his black cup is running over and his green cup has run dry? This seems to be at the heart of the conversation Jesus has in John chapter 4 with the woman that he finds at the well. Jesus is in the heart of Samaria, not a good place for a Jew to be. Jews stayed away from Samaritans. And he encounters, has a close encounter, with a woman who comes to the well to draw water. Now, again, Jesus is not supposed to be having this conversation. Jesus is a Jew. He's a man. She's a Samaritan, a woman. Never the twain shall meet. The woman asks, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan? But with Jesus, he sees this woman not as a type of person. He sees her as a person. He sees someone who's got with her a couple of cups. She's coming to fill her black cup, or shall we say the black bucket, with water. But Jesus notices, notices that it's her green cup that's empty. She's there by herself. She has been through five husbands, or should we say five husbands have been through her. She's now living with a man who is in a less than secure relationship. She is likely scorned by her community, and her green cup is empty. So his conversation with her begins with this exchange about getting water out of this well. But Jesus quickly turns the subject around so that they start talking not about the black cup, but about the green cup and about what goes in the green cup. And Jesus says, it's the living water. It's the living water you put in the green cup. The living water is the spring of water that gushes up to eternal life. Now, when we read John's gospel, we have the sense that when Jesus talks about the living water, this, this water that satisfies our thirst and, and never leaves us thirsty again, Jesus is positing himself as the source, the deep spring from which we are to draw, the way of life that is abundant and fulfilling. In John, Jesus speaks of himself with all these I am sayings. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door for the sheep. I am the way the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. Jesus, throughout the gospel, is positing himself as the very source of life itself, the good life. I have come, he says later in the gospel, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. 
And in John, there is this repeated invitation to immerse oneself in the life and presence of Jesus, to experience Jesus' love, to experience Jesus' grace, Jesus' mercy, Jesus' call on your life, Jesus' demand for justice, Jesus' welcoming inclusion. All this is the living water that never leaves us thirsty. It's all the stuff that goes in the green which explains the endurance of the great Celtic prayer that goes back centuries and centuries, what tradition is called St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's this great prayer that lures the petitioner into the deep and life-giving presence of Jesus. The choir sang a version of this just a few minutes ago. And the prayer ends with this yearning awareness. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in, the, in, the, in, in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Christ, Christ. Christ, almost like the air we breathe or the water we drink. Now here's the deal. This is one of the great ironies and some would say one of the great tragedies of life. That we human beings spend a lot more of our time thinking and worrying and dreaming and fretting over what is happening with the black cup. All those things that, that are going to put us in the black business, our houses, our clothes, our food, the stock market. We even talk about other people's black cups, how full they are, whether they're running dry. And yet we know deep down, we know, we know this deep down. We know that it's really what's in the green cup that matters. And we know that the great tragedies and calamities of life are found when people's green cups go dry. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and loses his soul? What does it profit a woman who gains membership to the club but loses her marriage? What does it profit a high school student who gains admission to the college and the land and loses her will to live? What does it profit a young athlete who gains the championship trophy and loses his identity? What does it profit a man who gains the corner office and loses his ability to contain his drinking? What does it profit a woman who gains acceptance into all the right circles and loses her religion? What does it profit a man who gains one, two, three residences and loses sight of those who have none? Oh, Jesus looks at the woman and he looks at me and he looks at you and wonders about the green cup. Makes me think of the days when working in the inner city of Washington, D.C., back a long time ago, and it was my job that summer to work with the aging community of a pretty rough section of the city 14th Street, Red Light District, just above Thomas Circle. And I got to know there in my days a woman by the name of Johnny Hughes. Johnny Hughes was an older single woman, never married, who lived in a one-bedroom apartment, no family to care for her or provide for her. She was reliant upon her paltry Social Security check, and that was about it. Her unair-conditioned apartment had the basic furniture, kitchen table, a couple of chairs, a bed, and not a whole lot else. Johnny Hughes, though, was the person I would make sure to visit at the end of a hard day. 
after walking the streets on those hot summer Washington days after having to face some rather difficult situations that would cast down my spirit, oh, I would look forward. I would look forward to the day when I could end up at Johnny Hughes' unair-conditioned apartment. She would pour me a glass of iced tea and find some store-bought cookies and put them on a paper plate and push them in front of me. And then in her gentle, gentle way, fanning herself with her hand fan, she would talk to me about how she had seen God that day. She had heard God in the early morning when the bird songs came through her open window. She saw God and the kids playing in the street. She read about God in the Bible she had opened on her kitchen table. She praised God in remembering the sermon the preacher had preached last Sunday. She found God in the next door neighbor who helped her down the stairs. She thanked God that the pain in her knee wasn't worse than it was. When I walked into Johnny Hughes' little cloister, I felt like I was walking onto holy ground. Her green cup <laughs> runneth over. Charles Dickens painted the black cup and green cup well when the spirit of Christmas present takes Scrooge inside the home of his clerk, Bob Cratchit. Bob Cratchit, who Scrooge has underpaid for as long as he's had him. While his own pockets have grown more and more, Scrooge gets a look inside the paltry home of Bob Cratchit filled with paltry furniture and a paltry pantry with a paltry and sickly little boy who may not be long for the world. And yet the scene is, as Scrooge observes, the scene is one of merriment, They're cooking a feast that would be disdained by the rich. They've just returned from church and are enjoying just being a family. And just before they dig in, old Bob Cratchit raises a toast. Raises a toast. To who? Oh, to Ebenezer Scrooge, of course. Long life to Scrooge, says Mrs. Cratchit. Their green cup runneth over. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me. Thomas Chalmers, the great Scottish cleric, boiled it down to this. The grand essentials for happiness, something to do, someone to love, something to hope for. Maybe that's what that Samaritan woman saw when she peered into the eyes of the Galilean rabbi holding out his bucket of living water. Something to do, something to love, something to hope for. Her cup runneth over.